The first lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. Need I say more? Time is too short for me to tell the stories of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Through faith, they overthrew kingdoms, established justice, saw God's promises fulfilled. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of fire, escaped death by the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They grew powerful in war. They put foreign armies to rout. Women received back their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured to death, refusing release to win resurrection to a better life. Others again had to face jeers and flogging, even fetters and prison bars. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were put to the sword. They went about clothed in skins of sheep of goats, deprived, oppressed, ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They were refugees in deserts and on the mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these won God's approval because of their faith. And yet they did not receive what was promised. Because with us in mind, God had made a better plan that only with us should they reach perfection. Here ends the first reading. The second lesson is taken from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 to 11. It's headed, Recognizing the Messiah. John, who was in prison, heard what Christ was doing and sent his own disciples to put this question to him. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to expect someone else? Jesus answered, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind recover their sight, the lame walk, lepers are made clean, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the poor are brought good news. And blessed are those who do not find me an obstacle to faith. When the messengers were on their way back, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What was the spectacle that drew you to the wilderness? A reed swaying in the wind? No. Then what do you go out to see? A man dressed in finery, fine clothes are to be found in palaces. But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, indeed. 
and far more than a prophet. He is the man of whom Scripture says, Here is my herald, whom I send ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among all those who have ever been born, no one has been greater than John the Baptist, and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Here ends the second lesson. So last week, um, Luke led us through a service where we were thinking about Advent, we were thinking about stories of displacement, that this gradual creep towards violence, but also this gradual creep towards the kingdom, and how God moves in the mundane and the small things that we do in a simple act of a family making the trip to Bethlehem. And here we are, 2,000 plus odd years later, still listening to that story. And then we prayed in the second half for things, things that we do, things that displace the power and the principalities in this world and bring us closer to God's kingdom. And one of the ways in which we can do this is by interacting with our political systems. And that's a little bit like what I want to talk about this morning. It's two things you're not supposed to talk about, religion and politics. And today I want to talk about both. This lesson about not bringing those two and mixing them together or, or it's not polite in conversation it was clearly a lesson that John was never taught as a child. Here is this person wearing sort of, goodness knows what, out in the desert, proclaiming victory for God and that, that, that Christ was coming and baptizing people and challenging the system so much so that he finds himself in prison. And in the end, it cost him his life. The John that we meet to begin with is this unborn child leaping in his mother's womb when Mary walks up, pregnant with Christ. We then see Jesus and John coming together publicly in the baptism of Christ, this proclamation of here is the one that we have all been waiting for. And then he ends up in prison, and he loses his head. And he sat there in prison, thinking, how on earth did I get here? I mean, I, I think that's where his question comes from. He has this expectation of what this is all going to be. His life has been leading up to this point, and now here he is in a cell, with an unknown future. He wasn't sure what he was looking for in a Christ. He wasn't, I, think, I don't know whether he was expecting a kind of priestly overthrower or a warrior overthrower or a king, a new king to come to take over and to, to take back Jerusalem for the people. 
But whatever it was that he was expecting, Jesus and what he was doing was not it. So much so that when he sat there in his prison cell, he sends his friends to go and ask him, are you really the one that we've been waiting? I mean, have I got this right? Or is there someone else coming? And we have the passage from Hebrews as well. And there's a big long list um, of these names of people who never saw the promised eternity in their lifetime. So they kept going with their faith, but they never really saw the fruition and the final climax of whatever it was that they were working towards. And some of these people even have like a, I would argue, dubious morality <laughs> in certain places in their lives. Yet now they're recorded as the faithful and the, the ones that held true. Not quite like this picture of John, who was the epitome of holiness, who still doubted. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes... I feel like John. I look at the world and think, what on earth am I trying to do here? Last year, um, I drew a picture, a kind of emotional, spiritual, reflective response to how I felt my job was going, how I felt the work here was going. And it was a picture of me mopping in the rain. This idea of, I, am, I feel like I'm, I know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to clear up this watery mess, but it's raining and it's never going to be clear and there's, I'm just going to keep going and it's just, what is the point? <laughs> what is the point when I can hand out a blanket or give someone a train ticket, but the story that Sarah read... Sarah wrote it, but it's not made up. It's a truth that I expect all of us have felt at some point, doing what we do in this world, trying to make it better than when we came into it. What's it all for? When I was talking to um, Simon about what I wanted to share this morning, he got all excited and told me about um, the CIM, the, uh, oh, I've forgotten the, China Inland Mission, yeah, um, started by uh, J. Hudson Taylor. And this man spent... 51 years over his entire life in China, going back, I think he went 11 or 12 times over his lifetime. And he lost children, he lost missionaries, he lost his wife. He kept working, he kept going. And right near the end of all this time, we have the Boxer Rebellion. Now, I don't know if any of you know, I didn't know this story, so Simon was sharing with me, is this, the Christian Online Mission was basically one of the biggest missionary movements to China. And um, Hudson was very unique in the way that he did this. He, all his missionaries wore 
local outfits. So they dress like the people that they were working with and they um, offered medical help. It wasn't just this proclamation. It was very different to a lot of the other British missionaries that were over there. In fact, they were quite scandalous in their, the way that they worked. And he brought over 800 missionaries and they started 125 schools, um, 300 stations of work and 500 local helpers in the 18 provinces of China. And right near the end of uh, his life and they had the Boxer Rebellion, which is a reaction against this sort of Christian imperialism that was happening and not just the, the Christian missions that were happening, but the way in which a lot of the mission had been done, which was essentially trying to make China like England. And there is this rebellion from within the country, and hundreds of missionaries are killed. 58 missionaries and 21 children were martyred through with the CIM. They were the ones that were killed from that particular group. And then the violence turns to those from China who have actually converted to Christianity as well. And you might wonder, like, why is Dawn being so depressing this morning? Why is she talking about John the Baptist who was stuck in prison and faced death? Why is she talking about these old martyrs who had dubious morality and had no hope and, um, and didn't see the fruition of their work. And, and why is Dawn talking about these, this missionary movement that faced so much violence and destruction? I'm going to tell you a story now. And some of you may recognize this. In 1901, a service of thanksgiving was held at the West Street Baptist Church in Rochdale, England in celebration of the lives of the Reverend and Mrs. T.W. Piggott and their 12-year-old son, Wesley. On July 9, 1900, these three and others had suffered martyrdom for Christ. They were in China with the Baptist Missionary Society, serving the Shuyang Mission. During the Boxer Uprising, 10 other members of this mission suffered a similar fate that day, including one other child. It is recorded that they made the two-day journey to their place of execution in open carts. Mr. Piggott, whose hands were manacled, nonetheless preached earnestly to the crowds wherever the carts stopped on the way. He preached to the last. One of Piggott's company, Wang Tangjian, because of his known zeal for Christ, was specifically ordered to defile the cross on which he stood as if, if he wished to save his life. He refused and was killed immediately. At the service of remembrance and thanksgiving in Rochdale in 1901, the preacher flashed out the question, who will take their place? A 17-year-old man stood up, a clerk in the accounts department of a local mill, baptized the previous November, and he declared that he would go. His name was Henry Raymond Williamson. He went eventually to prepare for ministry at Bristol Baptist College, where he showed particular aptitude for language study and in 1908 applied for the Baptist Missionary Society. He was accepted for service in China, as was another member of West Street Baptist Church, Miss Emily Stevens, who was engaged to be married to Williamson. Their service given in China lasted until 1938, during which time Williamson became a well-respected scholar 
Christian. He returned to England and gave further service as a member of the headquarters staff of the Baptist Missionary Society. And in 1951, he was president of the Baptist Union. Upon his return to England, he became a member of Cheam Road Baptist Church in Sutton, Surrey, where he met another man. This man's name was Brian. Brian himself was a much younger member of the church at the time, and he was also to go to Bristol Baptist College with the encouragement of H.R. Williamson. Each vacation, they would meet to talk about the past and the calling to ministry. And at Brian's service of ordination to Christian ministry in 1965, the ordination prayer was led by Dr. H.R. Williamson. Thus, one young man and the church of which he was a member in a comfortable part of England were in contact and fellowship with those who had literally gone and given all for Christ in the direct line of vocation and covenant-making God. Brian was part of a martyr church. Now, if you haven't guessed, Brian is the Brian. You, you preach here, Brian Hames. And not only was his life inspired, transformed, shaped by the person who came before him, but their life was inspired, changed, shaped by the story of the missionary in China. And then Brian goes on to shape and teach Simon Woodman and to give Ruth her handshake at her ordination and to be an influence on her over their ministry. And then Simon and Ruth in turn have inspired me. I'm sure as well, many of you have been, were baptized by Brian. How many people have you now influenced, touched, inspired? And the new people who are coming to this church who've never met Brian. How many of you have been inspired and touched and shaped by the members of this church that did know him? We talked last week about the putting the stones in and displacing the water. And that display of that, the water overflowing. And we don't always get to see the end. We don't always get to see the sort of finished result. We don't get to see the finished story. Our, our, our lives, we will always leave this earth with unfinished stories. But how many stories are you starting? How many lives are you changing? We're going to write, sign our names to another letter. The result of the last letter was that children ended up coming to the UK because they had a right to. Those children will now grow up in a safe and stable environment. And who knows what they will become? And who knows who they will influence and how they will change this world? Because you put your name on a piece of paper. The story of John starts with hope and promise and joy and declarations publicly and ends in prison. But his story doesn't actually end there. His story is carried on through Christ, who commends him and affirms him in who he was in his ministry. And then Christ goes to the cross and we have redemption and we have 2,000 years of church history. And we have us sat here today. John's story didn't end in a prison. It's still going now. The same way as God's story hasn't ended, 
It still lives on in us. Maybe all you're able to do is give the third Harry Potter book to someone who wants to read it on the streets. Or maybe all you do is buy a cup of coffee. Or maybe all you do is put your name on that piece of paper out there at the end of the service. But that's not the end. That's not it. That's not the end of our story. We have hope. We have excitement. We just imagine. And that's what I like doing is just thinking about, actually, you know what? Like, I don't know what this world would be like if I wasn't doing the things I was doing. But at least I know that I'm doing what I can. And I don't know the impact that that has. But yesterday, when we were here for Luke's wedding, four or five of my young people, well, they're now in their 20s. They're not that young anymore. But they were my youth when I was a youth worker in Seaford. And they've turned out pretty well. And I was just in that moment, I haven't seen them for a good few years. And just seeing that these, that the beautiful young women that they had become, knowing the struggles that they were going through when I was working with them, and the drama that we had to sit down and work out together, and where they are now, one training to be a teacher, one works in retail in central London, is loving her life. Actually, I'm not sure what the other one's doing, but I'll find out. <laughs> and just how far they've come. And even just the wedding yesterday with Luke, the idea that when I was working with him in Seaford, that we would get to the place that we were in yesterday. <laughs> how many people he has impacted and how many people he's going to continue to impact and I look around this morning and I look at the faces looking back at me and I think about all the stuff that I know you do that you're involved with and the ripples and the stories that are being started and the line of spiritual succession that is going on from us And I don't feel quite so hopeless anymore. I actually start to feel quite excited and full of joy. Christ looks at us. And he sees our potential. Because truly I tell you, among those born of women, there, is not, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Our name could be in that list in Hebrews of people who were strong in the faith, who kept going, who kept the faith, who kept putting one foot in front of the other, even when it was really dark and really hard. And then our names are going to be written in that book. Our names are written on God's heart. Next week, we're going to be moving towards a, a more hopeful service. And we have a baptism. And Sarah is going to be bringing us, hopefully, more stories of hope and good things and excitement. And Simon is going to be preaching on hope as well. And it's going to be the finish of this arc that we've been going through. as we wait for the day when Christ comes.
Amen.